Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. All right. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. Um, I have my friend Abby on here. And Abby, on Instagram, you are a tabletop affair. That's right. I am. So people yeah, are excited people, to be here. Awesome. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I am um, from Arkansas. I was born and raised in the South. And I have loved this idea of cooking and being at home and around family. Um, I guess that's just really how I was raised. And then all of a sudden I graduate college at 21, 22 and find myself hitting the big world and am single and don't have a family to cook for. And it's just, um, it, the normal routine of life, that stereotypical um, kind of progression didn't happen for me. And so it really threw a wrench in things. Um, I worked in sports for seven years. So I uh, moved around, I think I was in five states in seven years. So I was around, I was around the South a lot and didn't really have connection. Um, Finally, about four years ago, moved back to Arkansas and got a job um, working in marketing. And now I'm in brain reputation, but really um, had trouble figuring out what does my family look like if my family isn't a husband and kids or dogs or whatnot. So it's been, um, you know, challenging. But then a couple of years ago, I started a tabletop affair where I really got to unpack and dive into the meaning of community. And um, so, yeah, now I live in Northwest Arkansas. I have two dogs. They're Papillons. They are Baylor and Mowgli. Funny story. I uh, went to Baylor for grad school and hated it. But the prideful part of me said, well, I can't tell people that I hate it. So I got a dog named him Baylor. So every time people ask me, do you like Baylor? I could say yes without technically lying. So it was, uh, um, that's where Baylor came from. And Mowgli, you know, love the Jungle Book, huge Disney fan. Got two younger sisters. One just had a baby. So I'm a new aunt. So So that's fun. So (laughs) Me in a nutshell. I love it. Well, I wish people could actually see you and see how bubbly you are. I know you had a birthday recently, and I love that I happened to catch your stories that day because you had a story of, I think it was driving through Chick-fil-A, drive through, and you overheard the woman taking your order talking about how cute you were, and it's so true. Yes. She was like, like, oh my gosh, did you see that girl? She was so cute. And I was like, I don't really think you call a 31-year-old girl cute, but I will take take it. it. Thank you. (laughs) I loved it. I was like, and she didn't even know it was your birthday. How perfect is that? Oh, that's so awesome. Um, Well, I love that you have a lot of different passions, and so I want to dive into a few of those. And yes, we are recording this 
during COVID. So we're going to take some of that into account, but also just some of your wisdom and truth you want to share, I think is going to go beyond this season. And so one of the things you are passionate about is hospitality. And you shared about how you Mm -hmm. moved around so much and in some ways found yourself in kind of that crisis of, I don't have my people around me. So what do I do? And is that, is that what kind of triggered this passion for hospitality? You know what? I think growing up, hospitality was always demonstrated by either my grandmother, my mom, my family. Um, I have a huge family. And so this gathering around the table always meant that, you know, it was kind of like that safe place. It was that place we went at night. It was that place we went on Sundays after church or, um, and so I, I loved the table. And I think that when I was got my job in sports and was moving around. And it was the first time I was kind of out on my own. Um, that was not where I ate. I started practicing this habit of eating in front of my TV on my couch. And, um, it was really lonely. And so I think that I, my family did a great job of cultivating this habit of eating around the table. And then all of a sudden I found myself single, living by myself and the table just was not a part of life. And I didn't know a tabletop affair was in my future, but after, you know, six or seven years of living that way, um, I heard a pastor um, talk about community and about the table and the importance of the table. And that's when I started really diving into how did God weave the table into his love story for us into the Bible, into scripture. And I really think that food is like God's love language. Um, if he had one, it was, it would be food. I mean, you've got the loaves, you've got manna. I mean, it's laced throughout scripture. And so, um, when I began a couple of years, three or four years ago, diving into this habit of eating at the table and really what that does for your soul, um, what that does on a physiological, um, perspective to your brain. Um, it's incredible how important the table is and how we really miss out when we're not around it with people. Okay. I love so much of what you're saying. I actually, I was like, I feel this in my soul. I'm hungry. Um, because I can totally relate to you with even, um, I, I have a hard time remembering what, what was life like before, but I, (laughs) I know that when, um, I was married for five years before we had kids I don't think we really sat at the table ever I think we did the same thing where we often sat in front of the tv or kind of ate in shifts we didn't really prioritize that sitting together and and I remember at some point when my daughter was young being like okay we have to figure out figure this out we have to figure out and so we actually had a time where my husband would come home from work and we said come home by this time so we can eat dinner together and I also had a season a few years ago where I I decided to cut back on kids' activities because I realized they were happening around the dinner type, like around dinner time. I was like, I actually have this priority of us sitting at the table together as a family. And I think that's going to build, like you said, so many um, memories. And and it's so good for our connection and our soul. Uh, I love all that you unpacked. And I um, love how you unpacked the idea of Jesus weaving all of that in together. So that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, it's actually interesting you bring up kids because the American Psychological Association said that children who eat at tables are less likely to do drugs, struggle with depression, and they're more academically motivated if they eat at the dinner table with their family three times a week. Wow. So imagine 
three times. It's not even 50%. And if we were doing that with our kids, imagine what they were do they would be doing. But then on the flip side with adolescent girls, that girls that eat those three meals around the table, adolescent girls, three meals around the table, 91% less likely to have or struggle with an eating disorder later, later in life. So it is that act of eating at the table, um, being there, being present. I love the, um, when you sit at a bar, um, you're shoulder to shoulder and that's really closed off. But when you mm -hmm. sit at the table, you are chest to chest, you are completely vulnerable. You are completely open. And so it really gets our brains in a, in a posture of openness and in a posture of like, I'm going to share with you. I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to sit, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to talk. Um, and I, I mean, I love that. I, I travel a lot for work and out in San Francisco in some of the big cities, I'm not in a big city in Arkansas. So we don't, it hasn't quite hit us, but there is this communal table phenomenon that's going okay that's going on. And so you'll go into a restaurant and if you are there by yourself, you can sit at a communal table hmm. next to across the table from everyone. And it's kind of like this mindset of I'm here by myself, but I'm not really by myself because I'm sitting at the table instead of sitting at a bar, right there, people are literally putting tables into their restaurants so that people that are eating alone can sit at a table. And I just think that that is a cultural shift of it's really important. It is a heart issue. Sitting at the table, understanding the importance of the table. It's, it's important and it's a heart issue. That's so. beautiful. Well, I love that right now in this very moment, families across the world are, have the opportunity to sit at the table like never before, right? We're, we're home. That's where we're supposed to be. And so we have this chance to um, sit together and make that happen. And and I want to just pause right here because sometimes in my podcast, I give people um, sort of something I want them to do this week. And so I hope that if that is you and you're feeling like, hey, we haven't prioritized this, if you could figure out why that is and make it happen. For me, sometimes it's because our table is right where we walk in the back door and it can become a dumping ground. And so sometimes it's as simple as clearing that space, just saying it's going to be clear, it's going to be set, uh, ready to go. So what could be the things that are kind of your obstacles to make that happen? Because Abby, I think all of your points of why is so key. Now you uh, shared with me this phrase that I don't think I've ever really heard before, and it was biblical hospitality. So what is yeah. biblical hospitality? Biblical hospitality is really the root of what Jesus intended hospitality to be. It is serving others. Mm -hmm. And by adding that word biblical in front of hospitality, it, it um, makes it less self-serving and makes the awareness on serving others. So I have this heaven um, first mentality instead of this, I'm going to serve myself first mentality. So um, really taking into consideration um, what a lot of people think of as the Mary and Martha of hospitality, the ones serving, ones communicating, really you have to have both. Mm. You have to work on both. And um, just like if you were going to go run a marathon, you can't go run and then expect, okay, well, I'm not going to stretch. You've got to do both. You've got to stretch and you've got to run, or you've got to eat right. And you've got to exercise, right? Um, you've got to have both. 
And if you don't, then one part of the equation will be missing. So take Mary and Martha, one sat at the feet of Jesus and just listened and communicated. And just like, I mean, was the Enneagram, what is that for? Just like, I just want to know you. Yeah. Um, and then you have the Enneagram, probably one or three, like the achiever, I'm got, I got to go and get it done. And, and so the Martha Stewart, I guess, if you will. And if you don't have both, mm -hmm. then really hospitality at its core, what Jesus, what God intended hospitality to be, um, would not, would not exist. Like you, you won't have that full capacity of hospitality. And so when I say biblical hospitality, it's really putting people first, having that heaven first mentality, mm -hmm. um, instead of being self-serving, like, oh, the table has to be set perfectly. No, that's a self-serving mentality. Right. What, what it, it what it's what is important with a heaven first mentality is that the table is set that you are ready to serve that you have food on the table whether it's domino's pizza or you know like a homemade meatloaf from you know the southern living cookbook i mean it the spectrum is there but it's it's not it's not the per perfection it's the the importance of having having people there at the table and do you think I, do you think that's what keeps people stuck and keeps people from oh, hospitality? Absolutely. I mean, there is this Instagram worthy Pinterest, perfect mentality that culture has just said, if it's not perfect, if it is not my Martha Stewart, pioneer woman, Joanna Gaines, then you cannot have it. And I, one of the things I love about love doing on my blog and on Instagram is showing hey, we're going to spice up our store-bought today. So uh, this brioche bread that we just got at the Walmart bakery, we're going to just, um, you know, put some powdered sugar on the top and it looks homemade. So that's our breakfast for our guests today. Um, it's not about this elaborate meal. It's just about having the meal and having the people together. I love that. Um, and I think as you were sharing before that Martha and Mary situation, I think actually it is that when we are sitting at Jesus' feet, it almost compels us to then open up our heart and open up our home, realizing yeah. those other things kind of fall away, those perfectionist tendencies, and we just realize, hey, we actually just want to be with people. Um, now, yeah. right now, we are in the season where people uh, can't have people over to their houses, so is there still a way to practice hospitality? It's hard. Yeah, yeah it's hard. Um, I think that for me, I've been sharing um, over the last several weeks, been sharing ways that you can still have community. Um, I think that a byproduct of hospitality, and I, um, one of the things that I write on my blog is that um, I listened to a pastor a couple years ago and, and quite frankly argued with him in my brain and asked several other pastors. I wanted them to just break it apart. And he's not theological ever, ever. And this is so bad. It's wrong. Um, and in fact, everyone agreed with him. So, uh, but it's, he said that in the old Testament, God's provision for loneliness was marriage. And in the new Testament, God's provision for loneliness was community. Hmm. And I totally sat with that. And I said, no, God's provision in 2020 for me is marriage. Like I want to be married and you're telling me that it's not, I don't agree with that. Um, and in fact, the, in, you know, when, when Paul goes out and starts the first church, I mean, his directive Romans 12, 13, I mean, 
Peter 4, 9. I mean, it is practice hospitality. It is be diligent in that, in, in that um, kind of discipline. And you do that through community. So a byproduct of being hospitable is community. And I think that even though you can't open up your door and have Easter lunch or you can't have people um, around your table doesn't mean you can't continue to build community so that when we are back out venturing out again, we can have people around our table. So in the last couple of weeks, I've really, um, how, how do you be hospitable without food, without the table? A couple of ways. Um, I have started um, the art of writing letters. Um, You would be amazed at the people that receive letters and are like, oh my gosh, it just made my entire week. Like getting that letter just brought the biggest smile to my face. Like it's little acts of kindness Mm -hmm. that show people that you love them. I mean, when Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, that wasn't like, oh my gosh, I just want to like fawn over you and you're awesome. And like, it was just, I want to be with you. And right now we can't physically be with each other. So how, how can you be with each other in spirit or in friendship? You do that through writing letters. Um, there's another company that sends out, um, meal kits. Um, and so I have started sending out, um, soup. They, they do a lot of soup kits called spoonful of comfort. And, um, I sent a harvest chicken noodle soup to, um, my community group leaders up in Northwest Arkansas. And it come with, it came with rolls and cookies. And, um, she texted me, she said, you don't know how much of a blessing this is, that I was able to sit down and eat with my family tonight and not think about what I had to cook. Um, You provided that for me. And so little, little acts of kindness. I mean, we did happy hour with, with my friends uh, last week and the girl that hosted happy hour, she sent everyone face masks in the mail. And so everybody had the face mask that she had sent and it was fun. Not that she had to do that, but that was that added, like, what is that added layer of friendship, of love that you can demonstrate, that you can show? Because that's, those are the pillars that hold up hospitality. Mm -hmm. You've got friendship and love and kindness and, and graciousness. And so you have all of these things and how can we show those without the table and without making a meal for someone? Well, some of that is just you know, being, being there during this time, whether it's a FaceTime or it's a letter or it's sending the meal. Um, you know, I had a neighbor drop off palm branches on Palm Sunday at my doorstep. And so that was her way of being hospitable, inviting me in for community with her. Well, that's beautiful. Um, I wanted to touch on one thing you shared a little while back and, um, you just had this phrase where you said the discipline of hospitality. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, often we can have this idea that we just are a certain way or we aren't, right? Like, I'm just not the kind of person who has people over. I'm just not. And I I think what you said is really true in the sense that sometimes hospitality can begin as a discipline. Yeah. I, know, I know for my husband and I, we actually don't often have people over because it does feel like that thing where we have to pull out he's out a lot of evenings um then I could be out so it feels tricky to find a time um and then what are we gonna have that feels overwhelming do we have to clean the house right all those things and so we actually had our word of the year two years ago was we picked a word for our family and it was hospitality and we just said we need to 
take care of these few things. And it, it started off as a discipline, like as a way of saying we want this to be in our lives. So we're actually going to do the things that don't feel easy or aren't coming naturally um, to be able to have this. And then when people are over, we're thinking, why don't we do this all the time? We need to do this all the time. And sometimes yeah. I've just found that sometimes really good things in our lives start off as a discipline before we actually get to that fruit of, okay, this is why we do this. This is so beneficial. So I love that. I wanted just to point out that you had shared that. Um, one thing that you talk about is this idea of um, not waiting until your life looks a certain way to begin things. And I love that you share, like, don't wait for the perfect house, the perfect. And that that has actually been one of my issues is we don't have a huge um, eating area. And so my thought is, you know, we're capped at a certain point, but that doesn't mean I can't still have a few people over, yeah. right? I don't need to be handcuffed waiting for certain things. So tell me about what you um, want to say to women who are just stuck in that place of waiting. Well, Merriam-Webster's definition of waiting is that we are delaying action. Mm-hmm. So when God tells us to wait patiently, that really means to delay action on being patient, in turn, be impatient. That is not what God meant. That's not what David meant when he wrote the Psalm. And so, um, for me, when I think about, so that is, that is your worldly, your, that earthly mindset. But when you put on that heavenly mindset, what does wait mean? What does God want from us in a period of waiting? And it's to prepare. Hmm. Um, and just like you were talking about, like practicing the discipline, that's exactly what the word waiting in the Bible biblically means. It means to wait for me to work, but in your waiting act, kind of exercise your muscles, figure it out. Don't just sit there idle and say, okay, God, you're going to bring me community when you want me to have community. No, he's going to say, I'm going to bring you community when you have exercised the muscles and you are ready for community. So if that means, Hey, I want you to get your laundry off the dining room table. I want you to get your bills. That's not where they belong. Um, if, if he's waiting for you to set the table, then set the table practice. And in, and in your waiting, prepare for God to work. I love the story in um, Matthew where Jesus and Peter walk into Peter's mother-in-law's house and she's sick in the back room. You can only imagine in like 20 BC, 25 BC or 80. And I mean, they're in a dirt hut probably, and she's sick. And Peter's like, Hey, mother-in-law, we got Jesus here. We need to, we need to eat. Like, I need you to serve me. And she's like, I'm sick. And Jesus is like, you're well. And it's like, okay, well now I wasn't expecting to serve people because I've been sick for three years or, you know, whatever that scenario is, play it out in your brain. Um, but Scripture tells us that his mother-in-law immediately starts serving. Mm -hmm. She couldn't have immediately started serving had she not been prepared. Had she not been waiting for God to move and God to walk through the door. I mean, she literally served Jesus because she was waiting and she was prepared in the waiting. 
So I think that, you know, that looks a lot different for someone that's single than someone that's married, someone that has four kids, someone that, you know, is a widower. Um, but I think that no matter what phase of life in this waiting, we get the joy of building friendships. Um, and that's that preparation. Um, because in building friendships, you're drawn to the community. And when you have community, you just want to serve them. And that's when you get the, the opportunity to be hospitable and show hospitality. I love that. You, um, you had shared earlier about this idea of uh, what this pastor said and how um, yeah. Jesus really had community um, around how have you seen that in your own life? Like, how have you seen, um, sorry, I've forgotten the, the line he used, but, uh, community, yeah, was, community was provision. the yeah. provision, right? So, um, how have you seen that in your own life? So, um, I often compare my non-Christian friends. I, I work with a lot of unchurched people and, um, then my community group from church and, um, I, living alone. And I'm sure if you've got three kids that are under the age of 25, you're, you feel lonely too at some points. And so you, you tend to, to get into this rut of like, okay, I'm going to go home. I'm going to eat dinner by myself. And then I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to do the same thing. It's like this monotony and you don't have interaction and, and, but, but the clearest example that I have are with these two group of friends. I have this, this group of unchurched friends and and when I'm with them, when I hang out with them, um, I have a blast, but at the end of the night, it's really draining and it's, I'm exhausted and I don't, I don't want to go, um, do anything else. But then when I hang out with these church friends, I, my community group, they, they almost encourage me. They build me up. They give me life. I want to, I don't want it the night to end. And so really, um, you can see in the, in the two groups that God's provision for loneliness is really this idea of, um, really this Christian community. Um, and you need that if you were trying to survive off of this worldly environment, it's going to suck you It's dry. It's going to drain all of your energy, all of your, your juice out of you. Um, but really providing this group, this, this, um, Christian community, um, being involved in a church or a community group or, a, a kind of a, a group of believers, a body of believers, then you're able to really get rejuvenated and build you up and encourage you. And when your cup is full, you're not lonely. Hmm. Um, you go home and you're like, I'm ready to conquer the next day. Let's go. But when you are drained, it is hard to get up the next day. All you want to do is lay in bed or just mope around the house. I mean, it is just like, I'm going to veg. But when you've got this like body of believers kind of rooting you on and pushing you to go the extra mile, you can't stop. And I think that that's what the pastor was me was meaning is that look, when you're lonely, you need a body of believers cheering you on. It's hard to do it by yourself. Um, and, and yes, marriage is great, but it's not the end all be all. We need to be kind of lifting each other up as brothers and sisters in Christ. Totally. Well, I love how you share that. And I think, um, you know, we can have that in a season, like you said at the beginning, we can have that season where we're single. We can also have that in a season where we are 
a mom with a bunch of kids, yet still very lonely. I remember a season a few years ago, my middle daughter, um, I think she was only three, she looked up at me and she's like, I think you're lonely. And I was like, how in the, how in the world would you articulate that? But it was very true. And um, I think sometimes women in general, something can happen sometimes with us as we get a little bit older, wherever we're at in our lives, um, where we can lose some confidence um, in kind of initiating. No worries. Um, We can lose confidence in initiating, right? In being those people who step out and risk. Uh, I I was hosting something last fall and... One of my friends, I said, you know, I'm going to host this uh, craft dinner night sort of thing. And um, I just said, uh, whoever's coming, feel free to invite another friend. Like you can invite a neighbor. And so one um, friend of mine was like, yeah, I'm inviting this neighbor. She's too scared to come. She's not going to come. And I, I felt so heartbroken for her that even the risk of going to someone else's house for like a very simple craft fun night Mm -hmm. um, was too much for her. And it really made me sad because, again, I do feel like there are so many women who are feeling lonely yet are just afraid to kind of step out and um, risk to form community. And, you know, just like you said, that particular night, we didn't have a ton of people, but we had this rich conversation and I felt so filled up. I had that my cup is overflowing. And so I think that's another encouragement for women who are out there who are feeling feeling lonely, but feeling almost stuck in it. There's nothing I can do. Sometimes we either have to risk to say, yeah, I'm going to sign up for the community group or I'm going to start going to the mops group or whatever it might be, even though it feels scary. And I think that's part of it is we actually we step out into community even when we don't know the outcome, even when we're going to feel a little uncomfortable, right? It's worth kind of stepping out and building that community. Well, I I love what you're saying there, because I think that so many, so many people, I mean, not just women, but so many people struggle with the three C's, comparison, competition, and what I call this like composition. So you've got your comparison and that's like, we're constantly comparing ourselves. Like we're just going to throw that out there. Everybody's doing it. If you're saying you're not, you're actually are. So you just need to own it. Um, But after that, we compete on another level. We look at each other. We start categorizing who's the best, who's the smartest, who's the cutest, who's the best mom, who's the best single girl, who has the best profile on Bumble. I mean, you name it, we are competing and I think that we get, um, we get into this rut of what our Instagrams look like, what our Facebook looks like, what our friends look like. And that's this composition. We create what our life looks like in this like perfect orbit on social media. And we get into playing these games with ourselves and maybe we've been hurt. Maybe we've been betrayed by somebody at some point and you kind of just check out. But God's like, no, I need you to check back in because I've got great things for you, but I need you to kind of put the comparison on the shelf. I need you to stop competing. I need you to stop with the whole perfect composition on social media. And I need you to really risk maybe being hurt in the short term for the long-term reward that I have for you in community. And yes, community is going to let you down. Girls are going to gossip. It's kind of like innate in us. And you know, you can't be perfect and don't 
set yourself up. Don't set your community up for that failure that like, oh, I'm going to build my community on perfect people because we are not perfect people. And, you know, I think that, you know, that's where, um, in Proverbs, it says, guard your heart. And that doesn't mean like protect it and put up walls. It means stand guard. You know, when that, that word guard in the Bible is literally, I'm going to stand up on a fortress and keep look out. And so when God says, guard your heart, it's like, no, no, no. I need you to be active for me, but I need you to be on lookout for things that might betray you, might hurt you. That doesn't mean don't act. It just means be prepared. And I think that, um, we, we look at that a different way and it's, no, I'm going to build the walls up. Mm -hmm. Nope. Don't build your walls up bring them down so that you can have the community. The short-term risk is, is it not, well, I guess the long-term reward is greater than the short-term risk. Well, I love that. I feel like you've unpacked so many great <laughs> truths. We didn't even get to talk about food. Um, but what I want people to do is to look for you on Instagram, because if you are at home, yeah. at home right now and you want to sit around the table and nourish your soul uh, with a bit of good community, um, then go check out Abby's page. And so again, it's a tabletop affair. I'll link it in the notes. Um, but she has some great inspiration for sitting around the table. So much wisdom here of how just the importance of being around the table together, of building hospitality awesome. and community, not waiting, um, but going out there. Now, Abby, where else can people find you? Yep. I'm on all platforms. So Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, a tabletopaffair.com. It's a tabletop affair everywhere. Um, food. I know that we didn't get to talk about it, but like I said, it's not about the perfection of the food. It's just about having it. So if it is a Domino's, a Chick-fil-A, whatever it is, just sit at the table. Don't eat it in the car. Do me a favor and sit at the table. Well, I love that so much. And guys, in real life, she really is that cute. So go, <laughs> go check her out. See it for yourself. Abby, thank you so much for connecting with me today.